I'm Frederick Gerton, and I'm the filmmaker. And I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate. And this is our summer series, Leilani. It is. Sunshine oh. and swimming. Swimming and birds singing. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it nice? So, Very. yeah, we are small poets, aren't we? <laughs> Very <think>. small. <laughs> Very small indeed. <laughs> But we're trying, we're trying. So this summer we are trying to, to look over what really smart things have been said in our podcast from, from before and see if we can reuse, you know? It's like it's recycle is important and we're now recycling our <laughs> own podcast. That's how desperate we are. No! No, that's how green we are. Reuse, that's how green recycle. we are. We're very green. We had a very interesting segment uh, with a Swedish man called Jakob Koenig, who works for Fair Finance Guide. And the finance industry. Why don't we talk more about the finance industry, Leilani? I know, they're untouchable. I loved this episode because... It takes a very simple thing. The work of Fair Finance takes a very simple thing. The act of depositing money into a bank. And it asks the question, what happens to your money and do you care? And it never dawned on me until that episode, honestly, to really delve into that area. And now it's become a huge part of my own work, actually, is what happens when we hand our money over to banks and other financial institutions. Yes, because the banks... They play around with our money. They're placing them in places. And what if they are placing our money in projects or assets that are bad for us, like destroying the climate, destroying the planet, or, you know, violating human rights? Exactly. Investing in real estate, for example. Which sometimes can have bad consequences for people. So anyway, listen to Jakob Koenig from Fair Finance Guide in Sweden and get inspired. I can, I can tell you when, you know, for example, we have been talking a lot about uh, Oatly and Blackstone. Blackstone buying into the oatmeal company based here in Malmo. And then we, we've, we found out that they are really busy in, in, in the soya trade in, in Brazil and building the soya harbor and so on. It, it, it has been really interesting to see, because you, you did a report on, on the soya trade in Brazil, didn't you? Yeah, uh, uh, I mean, th that's uh, very typical for the financial sector. I mean, you can take pretty much any issue around the world, and it's all often linked to corporate activities. And at the top of these corporate activities are financial backers, which are financial institutions that either own or finance these companies. So ultimately, the financial sector is, is governing much of what the corporate world is doing, including multinationals and all their supply chains. So, I mean, that's a good example, like the, the deforestation and fires and, and violations in, in the Amazon that it's it's caused by the agricultural interest in soy and, and cattle and beef which in turn is exported and used in you know uh, f by food producers or dairy companies or restaurant chains 
And these companies are owned by financial institutions and financed by them. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how it works. So, so forgive my um, slow brain this, but you know, remember I'm in a different time zone than you. So my brain is slow. I'm trying to figure out. So if it, let's take Frederick's example of Blackstone investing in Oatly. So when you're doing an assessment, so Blackstone is a private equity firm, or you're not assessing the private equity firm, you're assessing the pension funds that give to their money or insurance money or bank loans that give their money to the private equity firm. Is that right? So you're not assessing the private equity firm itself. Yeah, I mean, the, um, actually, the the relationship between Oatly and Blackstone is a bit different because the problem with with uh, Blackstone being a, a big shareholder of Oatly is that Blackstone is not really well known for acting responsibly, and one of their businesses is indeed operations in the Amazon, and there uh, it is. It was one of our the cases we raised in a report a year ago. And we uh, we we checked uh, Swedish banks' investments in Blackstone as a company, so they are shareholders of Blackstone, uh, but also other uh, companies like Brazilian meat companies and uh, big soy multinationals, which have been documented for causing the the deforestation by buying soy and beef uh, from these these uh, producers. I mean, the financial sector is unfortunately a very secret business. And that's why it keeps on, you know, business as usual, because it's difficult to get an insight. So our report, when we reveal that, you know, some of the biggest banks are big investors in companies causing these big problems, there is a very strong reaction from the public, which includes the bank's own clients. Right. So then the clients, you would give them this letter, the clients could write a letter to their bank to say you shouldn't be giving your money to or have a share in Blackstone, because Blackstone does these terrible things in the Amazon. Yeah, we, we, we make it simple to people, we first reveal the problems and the banks links to these problems. And then we ask uh, people to simply send a pre written letter through our website, so that the banks get the, the feedback directly from their clients that are protesting against their behavior. And the, the call is, first of all, to try to influence Blackstone to address this issue. Uh, and if you cannot uh, influence them sufficiently, you have to divest. That's the way how also the UN guiding principles prescribe how you should act. How did the banks react in Sweden after those letters? Well, it, it was quite. Uh, uh, it was our at, at that point the biggest campaign success we had so far. Uh, we got over over five thousand bank clients uh, sent letters through our website and. We got uh, the Minister of Financial Sector uh, Markets um, uh, commenting, and and so it it is really uncomfortable for the banks when this type of information leaks out. It it ends up on the front pages of newspapers, and it's spread widely in social media. So it is it's 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 much a transparency issue. There's uh, the problem keeps on going because it's not. It's hidden in the dark, kind of. So when we put it out in the light, people start to react. And then the financial sector has to start to react. And, and actually, it, I mean, it, it, we created some really interesting results. Uh, we, uh, a few weeks later, 
several of the banks, uh, together with some other investors, started to engage with the Brazilian government, first through the embassy, uh, the, the Brazilian embassies in their respective countries. And then a few weeks later, they got a, a meeting with the vice president in, in Brazil. It's, this shook them a little bit. <laughs> Definitely. And for a vice president or a government to get this message from institutional investors, which normally don't engage and, and ask them to address human rights issues uh, and so on. But when they say this is a concern to us because we are, <laughs> we're being criticized for our financial links to these issues. So this is a risk to us. We want you to enforce, you know, to regulate this better. And and actually, directly after the meeting, the, the vice president announced a three-month formal fire ban um, as a consequence of this investor meeting. And it, it was on the international media and, and so on. It was a very unusual engagement by the investors. We, but we also saw the more typical actions, which was, the biggest Nordic bank, Nordea, uh, excluded, divested the biggest uh, meat company in the world, JBS, is the Brazilian company. Uh, they did it publicly in international media and said that the, the company was not reacting sufficiently on their engagement, you know, that the, the bank has tried, tried to influence them through dialogue, and, and but they, they didn't react sufficiently and therefore they divested. And that's a very strong signal, and that puts pressure on the company. It puts pressure on other investors that keep investing in JBS. So the, the pressure keeps building up around the company to start to address this issue better. It's cool. It's very, I think it's very cool. I love the um, the chain of accountability that then fits within a bank's um, assessment of their own risk. So you've you've introduced a new element of a risk assessment. In other words, if we're if we're pissing off, excuse the expression, our clients, the people who are using our bank who give us their money, that introduces for a bank a new risk that then they have to take quite seriously, but it's based on you know issues of human rights and and uh environmental action, etc. So it's 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 pretty cool, and I, I love the impact that you've had to actually manage to get the institution to talk to the government, right? Because the institution has so much power with the government versus the individual human rights advocate, for example. It's pretty cool. It's, it's, as it has really been a game changer. And I mean, I used to work in the financial sector with sustainability uh, issues and was quite frustrated about there so much greenwashing and so much talking without walking. And I thought, you know, we need to mobilize their clients, you know, the consumers, the bank clients, the pension savers. Uh, if they get to know this, then you create an incentive for the financial institutions to improve. There needs to be some kind of independent actor that can communicate in an easy way to the public and help them to easily act on it. You cannot just give the task to just do something about it. You you have to you know give them a simple option, uh, action they can do by sending a complaint, and then we'll take care of the difficult stuff, which is the dialogue with the banks and the, all the details. Because sustainability issues are really tricky sometimes, and and that's not, nothing that you should put uh, in the lap of an average you know bank client or consumer. When we released Push, it's now soon two years ago. Actually, when we were editing, and my, my editor, Eric, he actually checked his own pension savings, actually from a union, old, you know, labor movement um, pension fund, and he found out that there were, he, was, he was also sitting on 
on Blackstone financial products. So when we launched the film, uh, Jacob's NGO, Fair, Fair Finance Guide, actually published the, the investment Swedish banks and institutions had in Blackstone, which was actually a very good also for the understanding of that this, this monster that these hedge funds are is like a global cloud of money. We are also taking part of the cloud by, with our own savings. Yeah, we're all part of the system, uh, but we don't really know it and we have a difficulty to act on it. So that's the basic problem. But essentially, when, when we hear about controversial business practices and so on, often we are indirectly shareholders of these companies. And we need to get the financial institutions to take on our interest and represent us in that relationship. And the problem is that corporate, corporate uh, companies around the world are owned by hundreds and thousands of different financial institutions and everyone owns a little and no one takes responsibility and the companies then get very short-term focused uh, numerous short-term focused owners uh, which makes it difficult for them to make more long-term transition because sustainability aspects are long-term but the financial sector is plagued with short-termism because that's how it works, how that's, that's how they perform against short-term benchmarks. So if you can make this transition and link the interest of the public, which, I mean, it's our money basically that they're using uh, and get them to act more responsibly in when, when they uh, invest and, and finance companies. But the end of the story was that, that one of the biggest banks in Sweden, Swedbank, who is then also a cooperative bank, one of the biggest banks, they actually pulled out of Blackstone. They, they had a quite a big amount of money in Blackstone products, and they moved out. Uh, they didn't make any big noise around it, but they actually moved out. It's an amazing result. In the Blackstone case about Swedbank, I don't think they really acted uh, in a, the best way because they sneaked out the investments without even commenting it in, a, in their reporting they should have made a public announcement that uh, Blackstone is not listening to our demands. That's why we have to divest. That's the way you make it, have an influence. You cannot just sneak out your investments because then it just you just transfer the the ownership to someone else, which probably won't, you know, care about it. What are the different things that you're looking for when you're doing your assessments? And do you look at the human right to housing in your assessments or? real estate that could then fit with the human rights standards that you might use? Like, what are, how are you doing these assessments? Yeah, so, we, I mean, uh, firstly, we, uh, Fair is a, it's an international network. It's a, it's a partnership between about 50 civil society organizations in 13 countries, including Oxfam and Amnesty. So we're all behind this. Uh, uh, it's a collaborative initiative. And together we have developed an international methodology for assessing financial institutions' considerations to sustainability issues like human rights, labor rights, tax evasion, environmental issues, climate change. And we score the banks in different, I think we have 25 different topics that we score the banks on policies, on their commitments, on paper. And then we follow up with case studies where we take samples and and check how they actually invest and, and, and compare it whether with their policy commitments to see if it holds. Do they live up to their commitments, their promises to clients? And if they don't, we, we fail them and we 
we say that they, they let their clients down. And all the assessments are based on international norms and standards, like the OECD guidelines, uh, global compact, uh, UN, guiding UN guiding principles for business and human rights, and other best practice standards for uh, dealing with sustainability issues in, in uh, different sectors. Uh, so <laughs> contact your, your local uh, Amnesty and Oxfam people and ask them to set up this in initiative because it, it makes the big, this pressure on the financial market, they are always under the radar and, and people love when they, when your savings are growing. But I mean, if, if your savings, if my savings is growing uh, at the cost of uh, human rights or at the cost of the climate going crazy, it's not okay. I, I prefer to have <laughs> a less of a return, for God's sake. But Amnesty and Oxfam have traditionally not really looked at real estate and housing in their human rights work. Even Oxfam's reports, which I rely on extensively on inequality that come out every year around Davos, um, they never talk about the way in which residential real estate in particular is both driving inequality and of course a consequence of inequality and um, so I would love to push Fair Finance and others Oxfam Amnesty etc in making sure that the assessments that are going on at of, of these financial actors include an assessment on the right to housing I actually think there's a huge um, um, opportunity there because there are so many tenants around the world who pay into pensions and rely on banks who could be mobilized to really bring that human rights dimension to this conversation. And I, I'm familiar with the human rights guidelines for businesses that the UN has put out. I've commented on those. I'm familiar with the OECD guidelines, etc. And all of them miss residential real estate um, as an area, a major and significant area where the the where financial flows are going and the then impact on everyday people. So, so I'm going to push you all <laughs> to make sure that you really meaningfully include that in your assessment. This is like how how difficult can it be? You know, uh, housing is a human right, so just get started. I read a statistic that we, Frederick and I, have talked about on this podcast. 80% of f funds achieved through illicit means, 80% of corrupt money, basically, flows into real estate. You know, so I also know, and Frederick knows from the film, and you've seen in the film, that that residential real estate is the biggest business in the world. So it would seem to me it's an appropriate area to target. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a very interesting suggestion. And, and I have to actually, we, we have a, a, one of the 25 themes we assess banks on is one is real estate and housing. So, and the, the thing is that we don't apply it in Sweden for capacity issues. So I, I'm not into the details of what criteria is included. It could be that we already have the right to housing principle. Uh, but it's a very interesting suggestion. It's all. It's all. Uh, it, the only requirement is that uh, it can be um, derived from some some kind of international norm or or uh, standard or convention. Then it can be included because we only base it on 
base these principles? I, I, I really hope that you can move over to that. I mean, you're in 13 countries, in, in at least two countries, Netherlands and Norway. Your people are also checking the pension funds and the insurance companies and so on. It's, I mean, it's uh, also a sim- a typical for sustainability issues. It's a, it's a one it's two words it's one term but it contains so many perspectives we have currently a few hundred i think three four hundred sustainability criteria that we assess the banks against and um, that's uh, that's the challenge to capture everything we already have a monster kind of when we our assessment methodology we call it the monster because it's so huge but i think it's a very very important uh, suggestion I, I will take it with me and and discuss it with our network to see if we can we can implement it you you've been very successful here with the swedish banks to make them move out from oil and coal and so on, those investments but now you saw that the same banks that moved out their investments from oil they are still lending money to because that's another part of the bank so then they keep doing business yeah, it's quite absurd. I mean, we the, la- the last year, almost all Swedish large banks have divested from fossil fuel companies that have don't have transition plans in line with Paris. That's a that's a revolution. We have asked for it for many years, but then in the last year, uh, four out of five have done it. Um, but within lending, the the most secret business because it's covered by bank secrecy regulation where banks cannot disclose uh, the information about their lending, they are pumping in 10 times more money to oil companies drilling in the Arctic, building new coal power plants, expanding their coal mines. We just released a report two two weeks ago uh, about this, and there was a big uh, reaction in the public because, because, you know, it doesn't matter if you stop investing, if you keep funding them, if you keep financing this. It's even more serious if you finance. That's a much more active support and can it actually enables these companies to keep uh, drilling. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm finding this fascinating, actually. And I was, I'm thinking about a an NGO that I met out in San Francisco that has been doing exactly this um, at a very local level. Um, but of course, it's global money that flows into San Francisco in terms of housing and, and real estate. And they've been disrupting, going to banks and and lobbying the banks not to lend to uh, enable the purchase of affordable housing by uh, big capital or multinationals, etc. And, and they've been quite successful in, on a number of occasions. And I'm thinking I'm writing a set of human rights directives in the area of financialization. So what governments should do with respect to financialization. And I, I'm now going to include a section on lending, which I hadn't thought of before. So it's, I, think, I think this is a, a really rich area. Well, uh, the, the network is coordinated by Oxfam in the Netherlands. So uh, you can actually just Google Fair Finance International, which is the network. Uh, and um, there are contacts uh, to the coordinator if you are, especially if you are, uh, if you're working at an NGO that is interested in to, to start up your fair finance get in your country. I mean, we have been working on establishing in in the US. Uh, I'm not sure Canada, but I, I'm, I'm sure that would be very uh, helpful and the UK and, and uh, other uh, many other countries. So 
that that's the thing with you know capital if you push it down here it pops out another place so you have to chase the financial institutions in every single country and especially the big capital markets like the US where big dragons like State Street and BlackRock are sitting and can you know pretty much on you know without being questioned uh, claim a lot of nice things on in panels about sustainability but in practice it's a whole different thing yeah jacob i have you know what we've seen what we also the professor stieglitz says in the film the, the noble laureate stieglitz says that well basically the, the our salaries hasn't risen for 10 years but then the people the rich people are richer and, and richer and richer so the the kind of the income gap is growing every year and we've said it before here that the the billionaires of, of the U.S. became 25% richer 2020. So there is like a, a movement of also young people who think that they they can kind of be smart on the financial market, buying, selling stocks and so on. Some of these guys, these of these young people, they also want to be ethical. You know, they want to make money, but they also want to do the right thing. Is there a way they can find out how to do the right thing? To be honest, I used to be a day trader when I was younger. I dreamt to work uh, in an investment bank in London. You know, I just that was my goal. And and so I'm I'm really an experienced uh, trader on the stock market. And I'm very skeptical to the you know easy wins. Of course, if the whole stock market it goes up, then it, it doesn't matter what you bet on. But uh, that's not a, a, a law that it will always be like that. So I think it's. Um, it's a bit, uh, it's not for everyone to do that. I think it's more for if you're really a bit nerdy in that field and, and think it's fun, uh, you can do that. Uh, but it's also uh, associated with, with some risks. But can you also do it in B and be, be responsible? You know, can you be a responsible capitalist? That's basically the question. Yeah, question I get asked all the time. <laughs> <laughs> When my bank is investing in a company that is having a dodgy practice, instantly I think that my bank is bad. But what you should think, it, depend, it depends on what, how the bank acts on it, because it's also an opportunity, it's a channel to the problem. But it also de it depends on how the banks uh, and pension funds act. And But the, the important thing is that if they cannot change the problem, they have to withdraw. And that's not really the case. I mean, they they... They point to these dialogues for years and years and years, and just it, it becomes like they just keep investing as usual. And the companies learn that we don't have really have to change because they're not going to leave us anyway. If uh, your bank has investments in Blackstone, that's an, a, an opportunity to to get your bank to engage with Blackstone. But if the bank cannot get the Blackstone to change sufficiently, they have to withdraw and they have to do it publicly to make a statement and put pressure on other investors and on Blackstone that this is not okay. How difficult is it to find out this information? How opaque is it? Like if I wanted to find out if my bank invests in Blackstone, would it be easy, difficult? Uh, it, it depends quite a lot on what country you're in. Uh, in Sweden, it, you can do it. it, it you need some knowledge uh, because there's some public annual reports of investment funds that you can access. And But you need some knowledge to know where to look and, and how, what to look for. But if you, as CSOs, it's it's much easier within investments. Lending, it's much more tricky. We can we use financial databases that have some information on some type of transactions, but we don't have you know full insight in in the bank's lending portfolio because of the 
bank secrecy. So we need fair finance. We need fair finance in Canada. But isn't it like that, uh, Jacob, that asset managers at banks and pension funds and so on, they don't really know exactly where the this money goes, you know, I mean, if we talk about housing, they don't know what what the houses are, actually. Um, Blackstone, you can you can either invest in Blackstone's shares, then you become a shareholder in Blackstone as a company. But Blackstone also offers asset management services. So they have portfolios and funds that you can put money in and they say we will invest this this money in real estate or in infrastructure or, you know, something else. And uh, those those investment funds are usually a bit uh, secret. It will be up to the investor, the, maybe the Swedish pension fund. I mean, I'm sure Swedish pension funds are handing over money for, to Blackstone to invest, you know. Uh, so these private equity funds, um, which is called Blackstone is the largest private equity fund manager. Uh, the, the 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 transparency is extra bad uh, regarding those funds. In the financial world, that's a benefit because then the if you have a hedge fund in your portfolio, it it reduces the the portfolio risk. It's it's a bit uh, it's a bit difficult to explain uh, in a simpler way, but I, I think hedge funds are much more aggressive in the way they invest. They're much more actively seeking. Uh, investment opportunities that where can I profit from this and then you you get into this called vulture funds where you try to exploit you know companies or or countries are in a bad shape and then you try to exploit that and and make profits that's normally hedge funds much more aggressive uh, aggressively investing and in the beginning they started up like mainly taking care of money from the, the people of high net value, whatever you call it, the, the, the most wealthy people. That, that's how they started up, I guess. I guess. But now they, are, they have been broadening their client base in some way, hasn't they? Yeah, I know. I, I, they used to be a part of BlackRock. I mean, I think they stem from the same company. Yeah, they and, started together, yeah. And I think Blackstone is actually not really a, a hedge fund. They, they might provide hedge funds as products that you can invest in, but they are. I think they're... Uh, the world's largest listed private equity uh, right. company, which which invests in non-listed companies, so smaller companies that are not uh, listed on a stock uh, exchange. So that's kind of their niche. Yeah, that's right. So did we understand this, Leilani? I think so. <laughs> Can you now re- repeat this? <laughs> <laughs> Hedge funds take more risks and can be more aggressive uh, because they're not tied to um, shares and and investing just in shares. Mm. They, good. And they actually, one word, they speculate. That's, That's their right. prime business. Yeah. Okay. So they hedge their bets. <laughs> That's, so we are learning something all the time. This was great. This was great. So Leilani, this was uh, Jacob Koenig from Fair Finance Guide. What did you take out from this? I hope people who listen to it uh, get a little bit more engaged with their own money and with their own banks and find out if there's a fair finance grouping in your country because uh, I think there's something very important about holding the banks and other financial institutions accountable to human rights. Put questions to your bank. Put questions to your pension fund and you can do it if you do it publicly on twitter on facebook on other where you actually tag them they are a bit nervous at these days you know they they don't they want to be 
seen as green as at last at least you know so that's right especially banks or institutions that are kind of they portray themselves as green or responsible test them test them constantly by asking them questions how are you performing here and i think it actually is it's a very interesting step i think so too and i think it makes the banks and others nervous when people start asking those questions and that's exactly what we want. We want them to be a bit nervous and self-conscious about where they're investing the money that they're receiving from others. Mm. So all you audience out there, all our friends in the 100 people in 114 countries who follow Pushback Talks, if you have some dollars to invest, you can support Pushback Talks. How, <laughs> how should people who sit on a bunch of dollars, or maybe just one or two or five, do to support Pushback Talks? They should go to our Patreon account. We'll actually just go to patreon.com and look up Pushback Talks, and they can easily just give a few dollars here and there, once a month. There was somebody, a friend of ours in Canada, well, somebody who is now a friend, who actually raised her Patreon support to us up to 50 Canadian dollars a month. Wow. I think that's, that's, that's more than a bottle of wine, isn't it? It's it is. Or a very good bottle of wine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But it's, it, thank you so much. I will not put out names here because I haven't asked if it's okay, but thank you so much. And Leilani, it's summertime. Let's go swimming. Let's go swimming. See you soon. Take care. Bye. Pushback Talks is produced by WG Film. To watch Push, visit pushthefilm.com. You can also support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash pushbacktalks. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>